You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Welcome to the reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 2nd. I'm Kim Smith from Drake University. Here is our first story. At the top of the front page of the newspaper this uh, today, there's a large color photograph uh, and it has uh, the uh, caption reads "Let's by Let's Play," from left Roosevelt Elementary School third graders Chloe Teague, Brianna Solario, and Miley Rasmussen work together to build a large ball of snow during recess recess on Wednesday, February first, two thousand twenty-three. The sunny unseasonably warm weather made it comfortable day for research uh, recess periods across uh, the city. The top story uh, today um, is about the nonpareil itself. Uh, the headline reads, The Daily Nonpareil is Where Your Story Lives. And it's a story written by Scott Stewart. The Daily Nonpareil is your hometown newspaper and has served the greater Council Bluffs community for nearly as long as the city has existed. Founded in May 1857, the Nonpareil has chronicled the history of Council Bluffs. One of the Nonpareil's early editors, William S. Burke, summed up the newspaper's objective in an 1860 column this way, to furnish the readers of the Don Perel with the latest and most reliable information of what is transpiring throughout the world in general and Council Bluffs in particular. More than 162 years later, the paper shares the same goal, to be a voice for Council Bluffs in Southwest Iowa. This week, the paper launched a new campaign to highlight the important role local journalism plays in the community. The Daily Nonpareil is launching a new branding campaign called Where Your Story Lives, Nonpareil Managing Editor Rachel George said. We're excited to share local stories with the local community. The campaign launched Tuesday, and the Nonpareil newsroom celebrated the launch with a cake at the end of its weekly story planning meeting. George said the slogan, Where Your Story Lives, reflects what community journalism means to the newspaper. As part of the campaign, the Nonpareil invites its readers and community members to reach out with stories they would like to share. The best way to reach the paper with suggestions is to email the editorial uh, editorial at nonpareilonline.com and to include contact information. The Nonpareil would also welcome discussions with community organizations interested in working more closely with the paper, including submitting to the Face of the Day column, reach out to George, or any Nonpareil staff member to set up a meeting for additional information. The non 
Perel is your source for news in Pottawatomie County, as well as larger Southwest Iowa region, George said. We're excited to bring local news. There's also another photograph on the first page of the, the newspaper. Um, shows a child playing on uh, monkey bars. Uh, um, and the, ca the caption reads, uh, Roosevelt Elementary School third grader Derek Thomas swings across the piece of playground equipment during research on Wednesday, February 1, 2023. The sunny, unseasonably warm weather made it a comfortable day for recess periods across the city. The next story um, has a headline from Council Bluffs to Hong Kong, and the subheadline is St. Albert High School Robotics Team Interacts with Counterparts Around the World. And the story was written by Tim Johnson. It's accompanied by a photograph. Uh, the caption reads, Members of St. Albert's High School's Thunderstruck Robotics Team leaned towards the computer screen during a Zoom session with Robotics Team from Diocesan Girls School in Hong Kong, China. Pictured are front from left freshman Nolan Smith, senior Abby French, senior Sammy Horvath, and freshman Kellen Underwood. And in the back row from left, junior Lily Barnes, senior Claire Lewis, freshman Alex Marsh, and freshman Ben Hoyne. St. Albert High School's Thunderstruck is not only an award-winning robotics team, but a group of ambassadors to students in other states and countries. The team had a Zoom session on January 25 with Starburst, the robotics team at the Diocesan Girls School in Hong Kong, China, according to Kevin White, St. Albert Director of Communications. It was one of many cross-cultural connections the team has made, according to Andrea Barnes, co-coach, along with Lynn Gardner. We have interacted with teams from 40 states in 10 countries, she said. We have had contact with a team from Greece, but haven't been able to hammer out a time that works for us both. Senior Abby French, social media manager for the team, occasionally receives direct messages from teams around the world via Instagram, she said. Usually she is skeptical. Sometimes we're like, I don't know what that call's going to be like, she said. But I saw their message, and I, I looked at their team, and I was like, this looks legit. Their team is around the same level as I the story on this, that continues on the second page of the newspaper has an additional photo. Uh, Images of robotics teams from St. Albert High School and the Diocesan Girls School in Hong Kong, China are displayed side by side on a computer screen during a Zoom session with the two teams on January 25. Member, uh, members of St. Albert's Thunderstruck team are front from left seniors Nolan Smith, Sammy Harvath, 
Abby French and Claire Lewis. Back from left, freshman Alex March, Ben Hoy and Kellen Underwood, and junior uh, Lily Barnes. The story continues. The two teams exchanged messages and hope continued to rise, especially when Thunderstruck learned that Starburst team is fluent in English and had no problem speaking English during the call, White said. Next came the matter of navigating the time difference. Hong Kong is 14 hours ahead of Council Bluffs. Thunderstruck received special permission to be in the school on Wednesday night, which is church night, so all practices usually end sooner than normal. The call was scheduled for 8 p.m. Wednesday, which was 10 a.m. Thursday in Hong Kong. French said, uh, uh, that it began slowly, uh, it began slowly like any first conversation among strangers. We were all shy of the beginning, but they had a presentation for us. And after that, they presented us that we warmed up to each other, she said. Barnes said it was something special to witness. I think they were just really excited to talk to a team from so far away, she said. It was just two groups of teenagers talking. Our groups were well-informed and asked good question. Both teams compete in the first, in the first uh, uh, tech challenge. They have kind of the same problems, the same ways of thinking about things, she said, yet they are still having a lot of fun. Everyone was laughing and talking. I'm so proud of these kids. While Thunderstruck is nearing the end of its season, Starburst is just beginning its season. That allowed the Council Bluff team to offer some words of wisdom to their counterparts. We were telling them problems that we've had at matches so far and what to look out for, French said. We were talking about ideas. One of the ideas was a turntable on a robot. Sammy Horvath said. That was our idea, but we were told by one of the mentors that it probably wouldn't be the best idea. Sammy thought it was a really cool that they had the same idea. It was exactly what their team was having struggles with, French said. One of the reasons the teams have so much in common is that First Tech Challenge is an organization that holds robotic competitions around the world. So even their seasons are at different times of the school year, especially they are competing under the same guidelines. The hashtag FTC carries plenty of weight and links teams all over the globe. The game is universal, so they will use the same playing field and use the same scoring, Barnes said. Almost every state has an FTC organization, and usually just a few teams move from their championship to Worlds. North America Worlds competition are in Houston or Detroit, and I think they are only teams from the United States. There will be other world championships in different locations around the world, but as far as I know, there isn't an all-teams world championship. French said the Zoom call proved that teenagers are teenagers even if they're thousands of miles apart and seemingly separated by numerous cultural uh, 
and logistical barriers. I guess I hadn't thought of a team from another country being so similar to us, having the same issues, the same strengths, and even the same ideas, she said. I just thought it was interesting how similar we are. It won't be the last time Thunderstruck team uh, members talk to their new friends, Barnes said. Our plan is to repeat the Zoom call with Hong Kong to see how their season is going. A less positive story on the front page has the headline, Three in Custody, Four Wanted in January Murder and Robbery Case, a story written by Tim Johnson. Three people have been arrested and four more are wanted in connection with an armed robbery turned murder that took place on January 8 in Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs police officers were dispatched at 5.15 p.m. to 209 South 4th Street on a report of shots fired according to a press release from the Council Bluffs Police Department. Shortly after arising, arriving, officers found the victim, Tucker Doberstein, 19, of Fremont, Nebraska, lying on the floor in apartment number six with a gunshot wound to the chest. According to witnesses, several people from the building were wearing rubber gloves and masks following the shots. At that time, the criminal investigation division and forensic team were called to the scene. After an exhaustive investigation, detectives found that seven su several seven suspects, sorry, had worked together to plan and commit a robbery of the victim as he was delivering drugs to them, the press release stated. Four of the suspects met the victim in the apartment and during the armed robbery, shots were fired, killing the victim. The suspects then left the apartment and jumped into a waiting vehicle occupied by two other suspects. The apartment tenant was not present during the incident, but is alleged that she had prior knowledge of the planned robbery. Detectives applied for and executed several search warrants of the apartment, phones, social media, and other electronic devices to gather evidence related to the case. With the information gathered, it was determined that all seven suspects would be charged with first-degree murder and first-degree robbery for their involvement in the incident. Police have apprehended Keyshawn Houts Mayfield, 20, of Council Buffs, Trayvon Thomas, 20, of Council Bluffs, and Triana Hudson, 20, of Council Bluffs. Still at large are Dontre Hudson, 20, of Council Bluffs, Trebor Carmen, 19, of Council Bluffs, Angelina Mickelson, 20, of Council Bluffs, and Devin Atkins, 30, of Council Bluffs. All will be charged with first-degree murder and first-degree robbery. Our next story has a headline, House Lawmakers Advance 3% Public Education Increase. And it was written by Caleb McCullough. Uh, Iowa K through 12 schools will see a 3% boost in state funding under a bill that passed out of House Committee Tuesday. 
that amounts to a 106.8 million increase from last year. The proposal is just, is higher than the 2.5% increase called for by Governor Kim Reynolds and the 2% increase under consideration in the Iowa Senate. The bill, House Study Bill 117, also includes a 900,000 increase for school transportation. A 3% bump would be the highest percent increase of the state's supplemental aid to schools since 2015. We have and will remain to be consistent with our funding, said Representative Craig Johnson, a Republican from Independence, and the committee's vice chair. It's predictable and it's affordable for Iowa. The bill passed 14 to 9 with only with all but one Republican voting in favor. Republican Representative Chad Ingalls of Randalia joined Democrats in voting against the measure. Although the Senate's bill, uh, Senate Study Bill 1081 sets the increase at 2%. Senate Majority Leader uh, Whitover, who's a Republican from, from Grimes, said the caucus has not landed on a number for increasing school funding, and the bill was filed to get the process moving. Senate Republicans have not discussed school funding for next year, and we'll meet this week to discuss school funding, Whitaver's spokesman Caleb Hunter said on Monday. The Senate Education Committee will meet Wednesday to consider the bill. Lawmakers are required by law to send a school funding bill to Governor Kim Reynolds within the first month of the legislative session. The House proposed proposal falls short of the 4% requested by the Iowa State Education Association, the union representing Iowa's public school teachers. Other educators and groups requested a 5% increase. State aid to K-12 schools has increased by a little over 2% on average each year over the past decade, according to state data. Democrats said the increase was not enough and proposed adding a $2.67 million to school funding for the upcoming school year. In a press release, they said that the figure, which equates to about a 6% increase, would stave off budget cuts and layoffs and allow schools to raise teacher salaries and reduce class sizes. We'd be scratching the mental health support for students in our public schools with a 3% increase. Representative Art Stade, a Democrat from Cedar Rapids, said, we would have budget cuts, layoffs, and loss of academic programs and services in our schools. That's the only alternative they have, 
and when they don't have the funds. A 3% increase would closely mirror the expected cost of private school tuition assistance program Governor Kim Reynolds championed this year and signed into law last week. That program is expected to cost $106.9 million in the first year and reach $345 million by the time it's fully implemented. Last week, we gave $107 million new money to the voucher program for 14,000 kids. The committee's raking member, Representative Sharon Steckman, Democrat from Mason Critty, said, this is 107 million, half a million kids. I don't get it. Iowa education advocates said during a hearing on the House bill on Tuesday, they appreciated that House Republicans are pitching uh, the highest increase of the three proposals. But schools need more money to keep up with the state of uh, rate of inflation. For schools with falling enrollment, a 3% increase could amount to a budget cut if they lose enough students from this year to next year, uh, lobbyists for school organizations said. We don't know that the, that, it, that that is going to do everything possible to help us address the needs that we have at our 327 public schools that provide education for our $480,000 public school students, Iowa State Education Association lobbyist Melissa Peterson said. Editorial comment for me, that's a doggone good story. Uh, I would have given an A-plus in my news writing and reporting class for sure. The next story uh, has, uh, is called The Face of the Day, and it has a picture of a smiling young girl named Kalia Barranco uh, accompanying it. Kalia Barranco is having a great start to 2023. Barranco is eight, is a Council Bluffs girl who has been attending Roosevelt and elementary schools since kindergarten. She is currently third grader and a student in Jamie Munt's classroom. Barranco has a seven-year-old sister, Uria, who is a first grader at, at Roosevelt. Barranca says she's been enjoying her third grade year. She is fond of writing, and she's been interested in learning about Earth and the rest of the planets in science class. She's also expressive and loves singing in music class. Barranco also said she always stays active and can often be seen zipping around the playground during recess and giving it her all during physical education class. Barranco enjoys being outside, and Wednesday's weather was the perfect excuse to get out and play. Outside of school, Barranco loves spending time with her family, especially their cat. They received a cat, Onyx, from their cousins, and Barranco has become best buds with the little guy. He even escorts her to school in the car every, each morning, and he's waiting for her every day when she leaves Roosevelt. That's quite the companion. Barranco is looking forward to the rest of her third grade year 
and whatever else 2023 brings. I'm terrible at pronouncing names, so Baranco, if I've mispronounced your name, I apologize. The headline in our next story is Omaha man who barricaded himself in an excavator during police standoff in Bluffs, sentenced to prison time. And it's a story written by Courtney Brummer-Clark of the Omaha World Herald. An Omaha man who barricaded himself in a construction excavator leading to a nine-hour standoff with area law enforcement in 2021 was sentenced to more than eight years in prison Tuesday. Ryan D. Linehan, 42, was sentenced to 100 months following his guilty plea to bring a felon in possession of a firearm. He will also serve three years of supervised release filing his incarceration, according to a release from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Iowa. On the morning of February 5, 2021, Linehan, who was wanted on an uh, a warrant out of Sarpy County charging him with first-degree sexual assault of a child was working on a construction site near the intersection of East Canesville Boulevard and Bond Street in Council Bluffs. When officers tried to approach him, he climbed inside an excavator and swung the bucket in their direction. After three hours of standoff, Lenahan pulled a loaded handgun and threatened to shoot himself. The standoff continued for another six hours, during which, and during which officers eventually launched a beanbag and pepper spray rounds into the excavator. Lenahan then shot himself in the lower jaw. He was taken to Nebraska Medical Center, where he eventually recovered. The Council Bluffs Police Department. United States Marshal Service and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives investigated the case. Another story man is has a headline Man Who Threw a Glock Sentenced. It's by Kevin Cole and it's also from the Omaha World Herald. A 24-year-old Council Bluffs man was sentenced Tuesday to three years and one month in federal prison for a firearm, firearms violation. Christopher L. Meadows pleaded guilty in U.S. court for Southern District of Iowa to being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. After he was released from prison, Meadows must serve three years of supervised release. In January 2022, law enforcement was called to Harris Casino and encountered Meadows who ran from officers and threw something on the roof of a car wash. Officers later located a Glock 45 caliber handgun on the roof. Meadows was prohibited from possessing firearms because he is a felon and was a drug user, according to a statement from U.S. Attorney Richard Westfall of the Southern District of Iowa. The Council Bluffs Police Department 
and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives investigated the case. You're listening to the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 2nd on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped in Des Moines. And I'm Kim Smith, your reader from Drake University. IRIS volunteers love to hear from listeners, so if you have any comments or questions about this or any other IRIS program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. We have two obituaries this morning. The first is for Larry G. Gittins, G-I-T-T-I-N-S. Larry G. Gittins, Sr., age 76, of Council Bluffs, passed away uh, January 25 at 2023 at Jenny Edmondson Hospital. Larry was born March 9, 1946 in Council Bluffs to Glenn and Betty L. Franz Gittens. He attended Thomas Jefferson High School and proudly served his country in the U.S. Army. Larry was a clerk for the Postal Service in Omaha, Nebraska for 29 years, retiring in 2010. He also sold insurance. Larry married Mary Holland Mitchum on May 24, 2003. He was a member of St. John Lutheran Church. Larry was preceded in death by his son, Blake Steenbach, mother and stepfather, Betty Quinton Rauschenberg, and father, Glenn Gittens. Larry is survived by his wife of 19 years, Mary Gittens of Council Buffs, son, Lynn Joni Gittens of Shenandoah, Iowa, daughter, Lynette Mark Voss of Walker, Iowa, and her children, Dalton and Nathan Reckhammer, stepdaughters, Lisa Jason Favor of Millard, Nebraska, and their children, Trent Brockle and Lily Favor, Sandy Mitchum of Austin, Texas, and her children, Jadella and Micah Mitchum, Gwendolyn Meredith, brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Ryman Lynn Holland of Southfield, Michigan. Visitation with the Family Sunday February 5, 2023, from 3 to 5 p.m. at Cutler O'Neill Meyer Woodring Bayless Park Chapel. Funeral service will be Monday, February 6, 2023, at 11 a.m. at St. John Lutheran Church. Interment with military rites tendered by the Canesville Honor Guard in Memorial Park Cemetery. A lunch will follow in the Faith and Life Center at St. John Lutheran Church. The family will direct memorial contributions. A second, uh, uh, a second obituary is for um, a second obituary is for John 
George Rapier. George Rapier, age 59, of Council Bluffs, passed away on Tuesday, January 31, 2023, after a hard-fought and courageous battle with cancer. George was born on April 25, 1963, in Germany to the late Frank Rapier and Maria Schonenberg Rapier. He graduated from Missouri Valley High School in 1981 and attended Iowa Western Community College studying their auto mechanics program. He was just over 25 years clean and was very proud of that accomplishment. He was also proud to be able to support and serve those others who were recovering and cherish those long-lived relationships and friendships. George was one of the strongest people you would ever meet, and that showed through his battle with cancer. He was preceded in death by his parents, Frank and Maria Rapier, and brother, John Rapier. He was survived by his sister, Patricia Anderson, brother, Frank Rapier, nephews, Joshua Meekham and Wesley Anderson, niece, Stephanie Rapier, and his loving and loyal boxer, Oxer. He is also survived by aunts, uncles, cousins, and many, many friends. Service will be Saturday at 10 a.m. at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at 2303 Butler Street, Council Bluffs. Interment will be at the Valley View Cemetery in Persia, Persia, Iowa. Visitation Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Cutler O'Neill Meyer Wing Woodring Bayless Park Chapel. Memorials to the American Cancer Society. And our final obituary is for Evelyn Much Muchler. Evelyn Muchler, age 72, passed away at Nebraska Medicine on January 30th, 2023. She was born December 28th, 1950 to the late Ralph and Doris Green King in Paris, Illinois. In addition to her parents, she was preceded in death by her husband, Lester Mutchler, brothers Gary King Sr. and Dale King. Evelyn is survived by her children, Eugene, Scott, Christy Mutchler, Leslie Todd Affart, Preston Jamie Mutchler, and Harold Pete Coverdale, citizens Betty King and Darlene King, nine grandchildren and six great-grandchildren. A special love goes to Amber Lynn Potter for her support. Funeral service will be held at 10 a.m. at Hoy Kilnoski Funeral Home Saturday, February 4, 2023. Visitation will be during the hour prior to the service. The family will direct memorials. And now a couple of uh, sports stories from today. Um, a big sports story is that Lynx and Titans host signing day events. And it's accompanied by a picture of a number of smiling people and the uh, headline um, 
and the caption is, Lucy, Fedone, and family are all smiles after signing to play football at Iowa Western as a receiver and return special specialist. Abraham Lincoln High School, and the story is written by Austin Heinen, by the way. Abraham Lincoln High School and Lewis Central High School hosted college signing events on Wednesday for National Signing Day. And the Titans had three athletes, jo Jonathan Humpel and Lucy Fedon, signed to play football at Western, and Boston Hensley signed to play football at Wayne State College. For the links, Braden Lincoln and Clayton Smith will play baseball at college. Lincoln will play at Midland University, and Smith will play at Mount Mercy. Uh, Drew Wilson, Wes Brown, and Wade Smith will continue their academic and football careers at Briarcliff University in Sioux City. Hanya Delahaye signed to cheerlead at Morningside College in Sioux City. And Piper McGuire and Jasmine Martinez Rangel signed to play soccer at Rockhurst. Congrats to all of the area athletes and best wishes on your future endeavor. And I might add that there's a photograph of each of the athletes named in this story uh, surrounded by uh, family members. On to prep basketball. The Lynx, the headline for this story is Lynx sweep Wolverines, Cardinals sweep Bulldogs. Uh, Tuesday night basketball uh, scoreboard, which was put together by Austin Heinlein. Abraham Lincoln uh, bested uh, Sioux City 48-41. to uh, The Lynx overcame a rough second quarter where they scored only three points by storming back in the third quarter. H H Hudson Rao had 15 to lead the Lynx in the win, and uh, and Aubrey Sandoboth finished with nine. Boston Helan bested Thomas Jefferson 88 to 40, 14. Uh, class 4A number three Bishop Helan sank 15 threes to power through the Yellow Jackets in Council Bluffs. Gretna bested Lewis Central 44 to 39. Class 4A, number 10, Lewis Central, was never able to get their offense going and missed some key free throws in the final minutes as they fell short at home against the Dragons. Brooke Larson led Lewis Central with 13 points and 9 rebounds, and Addison Holt added another 8 points. Traynor uh, bested Riverside 59 to. 15. Class 2A number 10 trainer allowed all but five points to the Bulldogs in the first half as the Cardinals quickly pulled away with the win at home. Clara Teaglin had big night scoring 31 points, six steals, four assists to lead the cards. And Alexa Schwartz chipped in 11 points to go with 11 11 
uh, with uh, 11 points to go with eight rebounds. Um, Abraham Lincoln bested uh, uh, Sioux City West 69 to 58. After playing a tight game for three quarters, the Lynx pulled away with a big fourth quarter performance. Boston Healy beat Thomas Jefferson 73-55. to The Yellow Jackets hung tough with the Crusaders for three quarters, but didn't have enough to get the win at Heal as Healy pulled away in the final quarter. Uh, Blair uh, Topped uh, Lewis Central 55 to 47. A 7 0 second quarter run helped the Bruins create some separation from the Titans early on, though the Titans fought back to make it a three point quarter on two occasions in the fourth quarter. The Bruins went on 7 0 to pull away for good. Glenwood uh, beat uh, uh, Clorinda 56 to 42. Despite a low scoring first half, the Rams offense found their footing in the second half to beat the Cardinals and Clorinda. Risto Lapapala scored 15 points and Caden Johnson scored 12 for the Rams. And Trainer beat Riverside 68 to 48. Uh, 61 to 48, excuse me. The Cardinals overcame a nine-point halftime deficit after holding Riverside to just 11 points. Ethan Dickerson led the Cardinals with 11 points and uh, with, pardon me, 20 points and 11 rebounds. Jace Tams added another 14 points, and Carson Elwood scored 12 points to go with eight points. Here's an Iowa women's basketball story with a headline. Another big game awaits Stolke, or it might be Stulke, and the Hawkeyes. And it's written by Steve Batterson of the Quad Cities Time. Iowa City, with every rebound, every basket, Hannah Stolke feels a little more comfortable as her freshman season progresses on the University of Iowa women's basketball team. I've played in big games in AAU, but this is an entirely different stage, Stolke said Wednesday. But every game, th things get a little less stressful. I try to stay ready and do better every time. Stalky and the sixth-ranked Hawkeyes are getting a little more comfortable with big game environment as well. It's not like they haven't had much of a choice. Half of the eight games remaining in the schedule are against eighth-grade, eighth-ranked Maryland and fourth-ranked Indiana. Home and road obstacles the Hawkeyes must navigate if they hope to repeat the regular season of the Big Ten Conference Championship they shared a year ago. The Hoosiers sit on top of the conference standings at 10-1, and one, while the Hawkeyes are 9-1, and one, and the Terrapins at 9-2 and two are in front of an Ohio State team that that has seen its losing streak go to grow to three games following an 8-0 start in Big Ten play. Iowa's first 
next big game is Thursday when Maryland visits Carver Hawkeye Arena for a 7.30 p.m. Con contest. Coach Lisa Bluter said the Hawkeyes, who returned all five core starters from last season, championship team have grown accustomed to playing on the big stage. Every game seems to be big games, so here we are. Let's get used to it, Bluter said. Iowa has maneuvered its way through several already. It was a big game when we went to Michigan. It was a big game when we went to Ohio State. UConn was a big game, and the more times you are in games like this, it prepares you for that next one. The challenges presented by the Hawkeyes' schedule this season have helped players such as Stolke and transfer guard Molly Davis progress. The six foot two Stalky is Iowa's fourth leading scorer and rebounder, averaging 9.2 points and 5.8 rebounds per game. Davis, a three year starter at Central Michigan, has returned to that role for Iowa's last two games and has averaged 4.7 points against Big Ten appointments. With the availability of starting forward McKenna Warnock for the Maryland game uh, still undetermined as of Wednesday as she works her way back from a rib injury, the play of Davis and Stolke will, becomes a needed asset. Warnock is second on the team to Caitlin Clark in a three-point uh Baskets and Stalky is second on the team to Warnock in offensive uh, rebounds. Uh, Bluter said Warnock has not practiced since suffering the injury during a January 18th game at Michigan State. As the significance of late season games grows, Davis said the Hawkeyes' focus must remain unchanged. One thing the experience of playing college basketball the last three years has taught me is that it's all step-by-step, step, Davis said. The only thing that matters now is the next game. When it's all over, you start to think about the next one. Maryland has Iowa's complete attention. The Terrapins have won their last five games and have four wins in six games against top 25 teams this season, including victories over Michigan, Connecticut, Notre Dame, and Baylor. Diamond Miller, who joined the Iowa's Clark on the Wooden, Wooden Award Top 20 leads four Maryland players who average nine or more points with an average of 18.6 points and 6.2 rebounds per game. Miller, who Bluter calls one of the most talented wing forwards in the league, and guard Shanane Sellers, the Big Ten Sixth Player of the Year last season, provide experience at the core of what coach Brenda Frazee's team has done this season. A pair of transfers guard Eliza Pinzan from South Florida and Abby Myers from Princeton have also helped lead the Terrapins to an 18-4 record. 
Bluter said, while Maryland's personnel has changed, its approach remains unchanged from last season when the Terrapins won an 81-69 game at Iowa to extend its winning streak over the Hawkeyes to four games. It's the same scheme, player-to-player, front the post, switch every screen, pressure, Bluter said. We need to be ready to deal with it. Take care of the wall and limit turnovers. And we'll finish up with a pro football story. Headlined, Unheralded Chiefs Players Redeemed. And it's by Dave Scredita of the Associated Press. The Kansas City Chiefs have some of the biggest names in the NFL. From Patrick Mahoney's and Travis Kelsey to Chris Jones and Juju Smith-Schuster. At their playing in their third Super Bowl in four years, largely because they refuse to give up on players only their most passionate fans know about. There's a quartet of rookie defensive blacks backs that were picked on all season, but who largely shut down Jamar Chase and the Bengals over talented wide receivers while picking off Joe Burrow twice in the AFC championship game. There's Sky Moore, their fumble-prone rookie punter, punt returners, whose fumble cost them a win in Indianapolis in week three, but whose big return in the waning second Sunday helped to set up the winning field goal in the 23-20 victory. And there's kicker Harrison Bucker, whose sprained ankle in the regular season opener in Arizona led to the most inaccurate season of his career, career yet who drilled the 45-yarder 40, with three seconds left that ultimately sent the Chiefs back to uh, the desert. Really, these are the redemption stories that you get into, Chiefs coast Andy Reid said. It was quite a deal to watch. Indeed, Reid has been around long enough to understand the unforgiving nature of the NFL, where players' careers are often measured in weeks rather than years. He's seen hundreds with promise flame out, their chances at making it big done in by fumble problems, blown blocking assignments, missed tackles, or other seemingly minor miscues. He likes to say that the line between success and failure is so small that it's almost imperceptible. His players understand that, too. With his circumstances so high, Chiefs offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. admitted, the margin of error is so slim, so nobody would have batted an eye had the Chiefs relegated more to the off-balls early in the season when the first-year wide receiver couldn't even make a fair catch. To be fair, Moore had never really been put in that position but that did not stop fans from groaning every time he fumbled a punt. The Chiefs finally pulled him from return duties, at least during games, but Moore continued to work in practice, and it wound up paying off. Their new returner, Cardarius Tony, hurt his ankle against the Bengals, and his backup, Justin Watson, already was inactive with illness, so the Chiefs sent Moore back 
to fetch to fetch the uh, um, biggest punt of the season. He not only fielded it cleanly, but raced up the sideline to give Kansas City a chance to win the AFC title in regulation. I just had to remind myself who I was and why I was here, Moore said. I was doing something new, and I was going to take my bumps and bruises. I just kept working at it. I didn't think I was ever going to get a punt return again this season, but I didn't stop catching punts. I was prepared for that moment, and it paid off. So did the decision by the Chiefs to keep putting rookie cornerbacks Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, and Joss Williams on the field together, often with rookie safety Brian Cook, even as widely wide receivers kept beating them and flags kept flying for pass interference. Much like Moore, they took their lumps early in the season so they would be ready later. In the AFC game, Watson and Williams both picked off passes, one of them after Cook batted the ball in the air. They told us we were going to be the, a big part of the defense. They threw us in the fire, Williams said. They definitely gave us every piece of information and every detail to prepare us to play, the, play well in tight situations. They didn't just tell us to go out there and play. They gave us a game plan and showed us how to execute. Butker was slightly different case. His ankle injury in the open in Arizona not only caused him to miss three games, it also forced him to alter his approach to kickoffs and field goals. The result was a shaky season in which the veteran kicker with the big leg missed a career-worst six field goal attempts and blew three extra points. Yet when Moore's punt return gave Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes and company the mall and all and the all pro quarterback scrambled into field goal range on his own sprint ankles, the Chiefs had confidence enough in Butler to send him trotting onto the field. It was frigid. The wind was swirling. The ball probably felt like rock. And yet Butker managed to get just enough oomph on the 45-yard yarder that it squeaked across the uh, crossbar and gave the Chiefs their third AFC title in four years. You dream about the big kicks. That's what people remember, Butker pointed out, in the jubilant Kansas City locker room afterwards. They don't remember your field goal percentage during that year. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 2nd. The Nonpareil can be heard each weekday at 3 p.m. Iris volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or question about today's broadcast or any Iris program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. I'm Kim Smith from Drake University in Des Moines. Thank you for listening.
Some would call 88-year-old Sally Jackson a lucky senior. A few years ago, a family member offered to move in and care for Sally so that she wouldn't have to leave the comfort of her own home. But soon after, one of Sally's neighbors, Carol, paid a visit, unannounced. Something wasn't quite right. Sally's demeanor and physical appearance had changed. Luckily, Carol was aware of warning signs that might signal elder abuse. Such as bruises, poor hygiene, isolation, depression, appearing withdrawn or unusually quiet, as if to hide something. When victimized, elderly people often feel ashamed, confused. But an alert neighbor helped Sally. Not all abused seniors are as lucky as Sally Jackson. McGruff the Crime Dog here. The National Crime Prevention Council wants to help you and your loved ones prevent elder abuse. Know what to look for. Know how to report it to local law enforcement agencies. To learn more, go to ncpc.org forward slash seniors. That's ncpc.org slash seniors. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Department of Justice.